Hey everyone, welcome back to Secret Sonics. This is episode 81 with Katie Tavini. Uh, we had a great conversation. We talked about how she was able to transition uh, into mastering full-time over the course of the coronavirus lockdowns. Uh, we talked about what it's like being a woman in this industry. Uh, we talked about her approach to mastering, uh, communication, and so much more. I really think you're going to dig it. Uh, so without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Katie Tavini. Here we go. You're listening to Secret Sonics, a podcast exploring the creative side of music production. Join us weekly for honest conversations with real-world music producers and audio professionals. And welcome back to Secret Sonics. I am your host, Ben Wallach. My guest today is Katie Tavini. Katie is a mastering engineer based out of the UK. I first came upon Katie when she was a guest on the Working Class Audio podcast, and I've been following her on social media since, and I decided to reach out recently, and Katie was gracious enough to join me on the show. So uh, welcome to Secret Sonics, Katie. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, How are you doing? It's a crazy time these days. Yeah, I'm good. It's a very crazy time, but... um... Grateful to be healthy and working. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not too bad. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah, same. We're just kind of juggling a lot, but we're trying to make it work. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's like we're both in lockdown, so we're pretending everything's okay, but it's tough. It's like when everything's on fire, but you're like, no, this is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that garbage, the garbage fire thing yeah. that people have been sharing about 2020 and it's 2021 and nothing has changed but anyways uh so tell the audience a bit about your story who are you um you know where where does music begin for you how did you get into production I guess give us like a quick lowdown oh god that's such like a long question I don't even know where to start like I always like sound from since I was really little and you know I I was really nerdy I got um I got Cubase or Cubasis as it was at the time in like 2003 with um with a free a free copy of Wavelab with it. Um and I used to program MIDI and just really nerd out about it and did music tech in college and um really enjoyed that as well and was researching like recording techniques because I wanted to know how all of my favorite albums were made and yeah, just being a general nerd, I think, really started it for me. Yeah. Um, what were some of those, like, favorite albums? You know, it's a really weird combination of, like, stuff that my dad used to listen to. So, like, 80s Manchester music. and um, uh, Is that the Manchester genre, or yeah. am I mistaken? Okay, <laughs> my dad's well I've heard into of it. Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, other 80s stuff as well. So, like, Cocteau Twins and... Enya, so stuff that was a little bit softer, he was kind of into, and um, like Simple Minds and Ultravox and OMD, so quite synth-heavy stuff, and Joy Division, obviously, New Order, Mm. so, yeah, like, yeah, that's kind of what my dad was um, listening to, and then I I played the violin in school, (laughs) because this is a (laughs) weird story, but I saw... um, I saw some kids in my school playing the violin in an assembly. I was like seven at the time or something. And they made the most disgusting sound I've ever heard. And I'd kind of grown up (laughs) 
<laughs> with my dad playing these records. And so it was like, it wasn't music, it was noise. And it was the first time I'd heard an unpleasant sound. And I was like, ah, oh, I want to do that. I really want to make, <laughs> I don't know, it did something to me. It like shook me up. That's um, so interesting. I, fi- I find like a badly played the vi- like violin, solo violin, is like <laughs> nothing that like hurts my ears more than that. Oh, it's disgusting, so isn't I, it? I, I, <laughs> I'm always hating on the violin, unfortunately, because <laughs> yeah. of that. But um, yeah. <laughs> that really made me want to um, want to learn to play, just because it was so different. Um, mm. So like, I begged and begged my parents for, for lessons, and eventually they were like, yeah, all right then. Um, so I borrowed a little violin from my school and had like, I think I had a lesson like every two weeks or something and did practice in the meantime. And I just really enjoyed like, making noises, <laughs> making a racket. I think I've always really enjoyed being noisy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, just a noisy person. In in schools in the UK, they don't really teach pop music. It's all, like, classical music and religious music, I guess. So, yeah, had a little bit of a classical music background, but then, I don't know how old I was. I must have been like 12 or something, discovered Slipknot and Corn and Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> so I was such a little metal kid who played the violin and who also really loved 80s music. It was a really weird combination. But um, yeah, I just wow. really wanted to find out, you know, how... Um, and You know, like, tutorial... YouTube wasn't a thing then. Like, I didn't have an email address until I was, like, 16, I think. And even then, I didn't know how to use it, and I didn't know anyone else with an email address to actually email them. So it was pretty pointless. <laughs> but yeah, there wasn't like tutorials. So I used to go to the library and get like <laughs> um, recording techniques for dummies out or whatever. Um, oh, those yellow books. books. Yeah, those are the yeah, ones. Yeah. And um, they used to have like like the cakewalk manual for whatever cakewalk software was popular at the time. And the logic manual (laughs) and so I used to get these books out of the library and just like read instruction manual on whatever software it was even if I didn't have that software which I didn't and yeah just nerded out you were just fascinated by the by the techniques yeah it was just all really interesting that sound happened and sound came off a cd or a record um that was just really interesting to me and I just wanted to know like how and why and then yeah when it came to like going to uni I <laughs> I basically didn't want to get a real job so I decided to go to uni <laughs> and just yeah spent all of my time in the studio and just learning and learning how to use the studio as a creative tool um that was really encouraged on the course I did so yeah that was kind of how I got into music production Amazing. So so I guess what what led you down into niching into mastering? Um <laughs> all of <laughs> all of these things have really long stories and I'm sorry if this is boring but this is going to be another really long and complicated story. Yeah, tell your story. The stories are like what people live for, so you got to you got I'll try and tell it quite quickly. Basically, um I'm really shit at mixing. Like so bad at mixing and I really, really enjoyed, um, so I was working at a studio and absolutely loved the recording sessions, like that was my favourite bit. And 
you know, when you start out, you're expected, you know, bands have very small budgets and you're expected to kind of do everything like editing and mixing and tracking and a bit of production. And, you know, you kind of wear all these different hats. And I was just always really bad at mixing and I hated it and it stressed me out. And I just didn't know how you could get better. So I went online and was like always looking at mixing tutorials and, you know, how could I, how could I do this better? Um, and so I asked on a forum, like, how, how can you get better at mixing? And someone said, well, learn how to master. And I was so desperate that I was like, oh, okay, I'll give that a go. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know what mastering was. Like, I had no idea. I'd never seen in a mastering studio. Like, it was just, it was somewhere where you sent your final mixes and they came back sounding better and I did not know what happened um yeah. but what I started to do was like send off the final mixes but then try and master them myself in my own time and like in, in parallel yeah and then I'd listen to the ones that came back and then I'd listen to mine and I'd be like hmm they don't sound anything alike. And then I try and work out what the proper mastering engineer had done. And then I just sort of practiced doing that. And over time, I was like, okay, I see what's happening here. Like, they're not putting every single plugin they own on a track. They're not making it, like, ridiculously loud. They're not even really changing the mix in most cases. And so I began to see, like, how... Um, how subtle mastering is. It sounds like you reverse engineered it, you know? Yeah, pretty much. Because, and, you know, this is like 10 years ago. Um, there wasn't a whole load of information on YouTube and I couldn't really get any like actual resources about mastering and I didn't know any mastering engineers to talk to. So I was purely like feeling my way through it, hoping it would just make me a better engineer. Um so I'd done that and then I don't know how long <laughs> how long later it was maybe like two years after I started doing that I was still still engineering and just trying to take less mixing jobs or try and be like okay I'll engineer it but that guy has to mix it <laughs> because yeah <laughs> I'm no good at mixing and I was up really late one night and I just logged into Facebook and I had a message from a guy I didn't know, but we had loads of mates in common. And he was like, hey, this is an emergency. Um, like, <laughs> can you master a track for me? And I was like, this is really strange. I don't know you. It's like midnight. And uh, what? So I was like, well, no, but I can recommend some mastering engineers. They're all super nice. Um, and he was like, no, I literally need these masters tomorrow. And I was like, well, this, you should have planned your time better, mate. <laughs> Just thinking, <laughs> what, what is he on? What's going on? Um, anyway, we, we chatted for a bit and I was like, you know what? I'll give it a go, but please, for both of our sake, don't use it if they're really bad, because then it looks bad on everyone involved. And so we kind of, <laughs> we started at like one in the morning and just started working and we did it all online and bounced 
tracks um, to and from each other and gave each other feedback. And he was kind of tweaking the mixes. And I mm -hmm. was tweaking the masters. And eventually we got to a place where we were both really, really happy with it. And he used it. And I was like, oh, okay. That was unorthodox, but uh, <laughs> it was an interesting night of learning. <laughs> so, this was a whole record. Yeah, well, it was an EP, so wow. I think it was like six tracks. Um, wow. And so I just kind of thought, well, that's nice. I've learned something, like, whatever. And then a few weeks later, he came back and he was like, oh, my band have an album. I was like, good for you. <laughs> um, and he was yeah. like, yeah, we'd like you to master it. And I was like, um, really? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> it'll be really cool. And I, you know, this was my second ever mastering job. And yeah, it, that record did quite well on the punk scene. And then off the back of that, I got asked to master some more records. And I was like, okay. I'm going to have to invest in some decent monitoring. Um, you know, if it was one of those weird things where I was like, I know I don't really like mixing. I love engineering in the studio, but it's really hard finding work. It's long hours. I'm tired. I'd been doing that for like five or six years at that point. And I was kind of like, if people want me to master their stuff and I say no, is that mean? <laughs> is that rude? But also, should I take this work because I don't feel like I'm qualified? So it's a bit of a like, yeah, in a weird place. Well, it seems like the it seems like the universe was like telling you what to do, you know, or the or the or the market yeah. was telling you what to do. <laughs> yeah, however you want to read it, you know. Yeah, it's weird because I'd never told anyone I was a mastering engineer, or never, I didn't think of myself as a mastering engineer. In fact, it wasn't till like last year that I thought of myself as a mastering engineer I don't know it's a bit of a weird one like when do you become the thing that you do right <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I think we're all trying to figure that out right it's so like... strange but yeah and then yeah I guess it kind of just snowballed but it's a weird one I really love it I've definitely had some sort of wobbly moments where I'm like oh I'm not sure if this is for me but then, you know, you get back to it and you realize that you love it. So you carry on. So, yeah, I've just basically carried on. Yeah. Well, I, I saw recently you were, I saw, I think I saw on Instagram today, maybe that you were nominated for an award or maybe it was on your website. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. So clearly you've had some, <laughs> uh, some success at it and people are digging what you're doing, you know? It's kind of crazy. Uh, what was that award? Um, yeah. So this is actually the second year... I've been nominated for it. And so it's for the Music Producers Guild, um, who are a UK-based organisation. And they, um, like, I joined, like, 10 years ago or something because I didn't know anyone else who was an engineer or producer. Um, and I wanted to make friends. This is, like, this is like AES or something for England? Yeah, pretty much. Like, AES does exist here, but it's sort of more on the the super technical side whereas I think the mm. MPG it's kind of it's more about the working side of being a producer or a you know studio folk than than the technical side or like we have the musicians union here as well in the UK um right so it's kind of like that but for oh, it's like the actors guild in New York or you know yeah. something like that <laughs> so um 
yeah, they have an an awards ceremony every year, and um, yeah, just really weirdly, last November I found out that I was nominated, like in the final three for this award, and it was so weird because I was working a full time job as a transfer engineer at the time. Um, I was just mastering evenings and weekends, and I was a bit like, "What well, fuck? This is really strange," and it it gave me like massive anxiety. Because in my head, I wasn't a mastering engineer yet. I was a transfer engineer who did mastering on the side and would like to go into mastering (laughs) full time. You know, I had my studio, but I was building it up so slowly because gear is expensive. And, you know, it's weird seeing super privileged people move through the music industry really, really quick. Um, But when you're not super, super privileged, it's... um, it can be frustrating being like, oh, those monitors that I really would like are four grand. I'm going to have to save up for three years for those, Um, which is what I did. Um, But yeah, I think just because everyone else who was nominated seemed like, you know, A, they were loads older than me and had been mastering since I was born, pretty much. <laughs> B, they'd yeah. had loads of big records. <laughs> and C, they worked for massive mastering houses and were people that I've massively looked up to for years and years. And I was a bit like, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be in this list. Like, mastering is just the thing I'm building up on the side. It's what I want to go into. But that, wow. was, um, that was really, like, I don't know. Validating? No, it was like overwhelming. Over, yeah, <laughs> overwhelming and terrifying. Like Yeah. I really couldn't I couldn't see why I was in in that list of people and it was just really strange and scary and I don't know. It was a really negative experience. And it's kind of it's weird feeling negative about something that should be a positive. Um, Mm. like, yeah, I I didn't work for about three months because I just couldn't get my head around it. And it, it, yeah, it gave me really bad imposter syndrome (laughs) because when you look at that list, I was basically an imposter, (laughs) um, which is pretty crazy. (laughs) But then I got nominated again this year and it's kind of cool because, um, I'm not the only female in the category now. And nice. Yeah. Like one of the other nominees is a similar age to me and we get on really well. And it's kind of this year, it's just a sort of, that's nice. I'm grateful for this. <laughs> but wow. yeah, strange. It's so strange. Wow. Well, how did you get over that? Like anxiety? How did, how did you push, push through it? A lot of therapy, which <laughs> Like wow, it, legit. Yeah, it, it's just um, it's hard. Oh, I don't know. Like I can't explain it. I've had other jobs on the side of being a mastering engineer for like the entire time, and so um, yeah, I really felt like a fraud. I was like, I can't see why I'm in this list. This is crazy, and. Yeah, just lots of therapy talking about it and just sort of learning that 
you know, these expectations are things that I put on myself. And actually, you know, it doesn't matter what the people think for a start. <laughs> because I was a bit like, oh, people are going to look at that list and be like, yes, the other two people deserve to be on it. But why the fuck is she there? But actually, that was just something that I thought. And if other people did think like that, then who cares? That's yeah, not, screw um, them. not my problem. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's such a strange wow. situation. Like It's weird how we can like strive for success, yet fear the success itself. You know what I mean? I know that I've I've like also had that feeling of like, oh, but like I won't actually succeed. So it's okay. Like if I succeed, <laughs> I'll have to deal with all those other things. You know what I mean? Like I, I've I've gone that path for sure. It's crazy. And also I don't think anyone comes into the um the technical side of audio. And you just don't think you're going to have the spotlight shone on you. Like, that's why I chose the technical side rather than, a, you know, a performance side is because yeah. I, I don't really like like that sort of attention. It feels very weird. Um, So to be like, oh, I'm just doing my thing, you know, I'm yeah. working on my tapes during the day and then I'm working on some records during the evening. This is fine. I'm having a nice time. And then to all of a sudden just be like, spotlight. That's, yeah, I was just like a rabbit in the headlights. It just, yeah, completely knocked me over. <laughs> but, um, wow. Were you, were you able to, in the end, leverage that, uh, you know, that nomination into kind of, I guess, moving into more full-time, just mastering for clients or, or, did you, or just in general? Sure. So, yeah. That's exactly what happened, actually. So for all of the sort of anxiety and imposter syndrome that being nominated gave me, it also did um, mean that more people sort of took me a bit more seriously and I guess found me online or whatever. Um, and so I actually went full time mastering the beginning of September this year. Not this year. God, where are we? <laughs> Last year. I don't even know what year it is, right? Like <laughs> The beginning of September 2020. So I'd gone part-time um, at my transfer job in January 2020. And I was kind of like, oh, it's, you know, it's a fixed contract job. Um, it's for a really cool project that the British Library are running called Unlocking Your Sound Heritage. And they've got like, I think they've got 10 engineers working on... Um, like, or when I was there, I don't know what they're doing now, but we were digitizing over four machines at a time. So that's like, I think some days I digitized like nearly 30 tapes, depending on the length, which is a lot. And then you've got 10 engineers all doing that kind of output, which is amazing. And then they've got uh, hubs all around the UK. I think they've got 10 different hubs with one engineer at each, digitizing on two machines at a time. So they're preserving so many sounds that haven't been listened to. Like a lot of them haven't even been listened to since the sounds were made, which is crazy. Wow. Um, these, are these like, these are like newsreels from the BBC, like that kind of stuff? Yeah, all different kinds of things. So loads of old news, um, wildlife sounds, folk music recordings. Wow. Um I did um, some political tapes, which were very eye-opening about um, 
yeah, debate tapes. Um, Wild. Yeah, really diverse range of material. Um, can't remember why I'm talking about this, but it's, it's really cool anyway. But that's what I that's what I was um, working in, and so it's a fixed length project. And I was kind of like, oh well, at the end of the project, I'll kind of, you know, I might get a bar job and do mastering part time or something. Um, but yeah, it kind of it happened quite naturally. So I went part time in January 2020, and then it was really strange at the start of March. It was um, there was two weeks where I had no mastering work whatsoever and people were emailing me going, oh, um, I know you've given me a quote for mastering and I know I've kind of booked in, but can we postpone that? Because I don't have any The world income. was falling apart. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that was scary and I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I can survive on my part-time job. Like, that's a, that's a bit crazy. Yeah. And then after that two weeks... I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I kind of promoted harder. I think I did a couple of Facebook ads during those two weeks because I was just like, oh, I need to get some work in. But I don't think I really did anything super different. But um, after that, I just started getting more and more work. And because obviously we were at home all the time and my studio is now at home, I was like, cool, I'll take this because I've. You know, I'm basically free all the nowhere time better now. to go. <laughs> like, yeah, got nowhere to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nothing else is happening. That's it. So Literally. I was just taking yeah. more and more work on, and um, it was crazy. I was working so much, but it didn't feel like work. It felt it just felt like you know, fun, making music with people, which was great, and it really kind of it kept me going through lockdown, which was probably. I don't know. Now I'm feeling the isolation, but the first lockdown was really... That's so interesting. Yeah, it was really cool because I was meeting all of these people I'd never worked with before and meeting them online and, you know, yeah. people in different countries and different time zones and there was loads of different music that I wouldn't... I don't know if I would have normally got to work on. So that was awesome. Um, it's so interesting how each of like the lockdowns has like a different psychology. Totally. Like I'm like thinking just just for me like the first lockdown I was like finding silver linings. We were watching Tiger King. <laughs> uh, I I don't think I worked at all pretty much other than doing the podcast. The podcast got me through this you know Corona so far. Um, uh, but like like I barely did any work the first lockdown and this lockdown I'm like juggling a lot of work and the podcast and not having daycare. And, and like, I don't know, like the first lockdown, I was like, you know, cooking all these meals. Second lockdown, we were eating total crap. You know, like it's like it's like been such a interesting, like just every stage of this has been so different, you know, at least for I'm sure for you also. Yeah, no, they've yeah. totally all had really different feelings. Like the second lockdown was weird because um, it was just after Halloween here in the UK and you know, we went for um, we went to the pub for a drink with some mates because um, you were allowed to be in a group of six people. But we knew that lockdown was happening the next day. So when we said bye to each other, it was like, I don't know when we're going to see each other again. <laughs> it was yeah. really strange because we'd just gotten used to actually, you know, being able to go out. And then all of a sudden it got taken away and... Now this lockdown, it just feels very more like a bit like the first one, like, you know, cram everything in and hope for the best. 
Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. It's cool that you were able to like capitalize at least on the fact that you just had to be home and 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 just just get to work, you know? That's that's something productive to come out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it was surviving. <laughs> like I don't think I'd have survived as well without um without working on as much stuff. Um but yeah, eventually when it was coming to the end of lockdown in kind of June-ish, when restrictions were easing up, I was getting a bit like, oh, I feel like I've worked too hard for a very long time. And um Yeah. Yeah, it was then I kind of started having conversations with um with my manager at my transfer job being like, oh, okay, I feel like I'm gonna need to go go freelance now and then yeah, the last day of August was my last day. Um, it's so weird though. Like I was really, um, I was really sort of panicking about going freelance, but actually, it's kind of fine. If like I used to be freelance when I started off, like I don't know, twelve years ago or something, and it was just always really stressful. And especially now when it's like time to do your taxes, it always felt oh, really. Yeah. There's just always something to be stressed about. Whereas now, yeah. I don't know if it's because it's locked down and, you know, I'm probably being a bit more organized than I normally would. But um, yeah, it definitely doesn't feel as as scary right now. I might change my mind yeah. on that. But. Yeah, I mean, also, it's, it's, it's so different to be freelance in different countries, different, like, we're, like... You know, our countries are probably quite different in terms of how what it is like to be a freelancer. You know what I mean? Um, like just the way the taxes work and you know all that stuff. So yeah, it has its positive. You know, it has its pluses and minuses, right? It's like anything. For sure, you know? yeah. Like Israel, like they really they want people to be employed. They don't really want you to be self employed. Really? So so, I mean, yeah, it's much it's much much easier to be employed in this country. Like it's easier to make more money. Like the the way the, the you know the VAT works and all that stuff. It's it's difficult. But, you know, being self-employed still has its benefits because, you know, you make your own schedule, you decide what you want to do, and, uh, you know, you're your own boss. Yeah, I think so. that's definitely... Oh, it's straight... I don't think I could go back to working for anyone else now. <laughs> I know yeah. that sounds really... Um, it feels quite, like, big-headed or something. I don't know. But, like, I think, yeah, having the freedom to sort of determine your working hours is just... Obviously, it has its downsides. Like, you know, sometimes you have weeks where you're working ridiculous hours and then sometimes you have weeks where you don't have much work on at all. But, you know, once you've adjusted to that, it's kind of like, it's all good. Nice. Um, but yeah, I don't... I, it's, it's so weird. Like, I don't think I'd be very good at working for someone else now. <laughs> you've, lost your, you've lost your discipline. Yeah, I think I really have. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange I think I'd be upset if um, I was working a job that wasn't creative now get used to uh, what we do I guess yeah. <laughs> so so tell me a bit about how um, how work happens for you how do you find uh, or I guess how do how do your clients find you um, or how do you find your clients oh that's a good question actually I think most people I work with come through my website and they've found me um but I do um I do a few different things. Um so I write a column for an online magazine. Uh, whenever that column goes out, I always get some more 
inquiries through my that's website. So, cool. so that's kind of um that's cool. It kind of pushes people towards my website a little bit. Um and then also I do quite a lot of work for women and gender minorities in the music industry. Um so I run a group called Two Percent Rising, um, which is for women and gender minorities who are into production and engineering. Because, you know, you go onto Facebook groups and and I don't mean this in a bad way at all. It's just a observation way. But um, yeah. most people are white men and <laughs> of a certain yeah. age. Um, and, you know, they can come across as being quite laddie. And, you know, I've had it before where I've asked a question in one of those groups and really thought out about how to phrase my question and to really sort of ask it really politely and respectfully <laughs> to the group and then someone has just given a one word answer with a full stop after it as if it's the most obvious thing in the world and it just feels very <laughs> negative and um yeah I don't think they're you know if you're if you're different than the the sort of majority they don't feel like a good place to learn well they don't feel like a safe space to learn they might be a good place to learn but they don't feel safe to ask questions and explore different ideas so yeah. um me and my friend uh jenny who goes under the artist's name of rooks we set up two percent rising i think it was like the week before lockdown <laughs> um like yeah last last year last march and um, we set it up just being like, well, we want somewhere where we can ask questions and just have a little network. And that's really grown. So um, I do get a few inquiries coming from that's there. That's so cool. Is that, like a, is that like a Facebook group? Yeah, it's a Facebook group. And um, so we do a, a weekly Zoom call, which they change in themes. So we do listening parties where people can bring... Um, bring a track that's, you know, maybe they need a bit of help with the lyric or maybe they need help with the mix or, you know, whatever, and they can ask for advice and feedback. Um, and that's always really positive and, um, you know, a, a good space. Um, we do skill shares, we do socials, we do like tech talk, we do panels. So it, it varies each week. So we do that. And then we've also got... Um, a partnership with Audio Media International where we feature one of our members in their magazine once a month um, just to kind of, you know, put the spotlight on them a bit. People who aren't men <laughs> exist in this industry. You know, you get a lot of people yeah. sending tweets going, can anyone recommend an engineer who's not a man? I can't find any. And half of me thinks that's really lazy that they've not looked but then also I think that's actually quite a valid question because no one would describe themselves as a female engineer or a non-binary engineer <laughs> so um yeah I feel a bit a bit mixed about the question but you know there are there's loads of us yeah. so it's a really nice network um and I do get um quite a lot of inquiries coming through that from people who you know, we've just built up um, a good relationship with. Um, yeah, I just released an episode um, of the podcast with a, a woman named Skylar Coco who who produces for a lot of fe women, she told me. And a, a lot of women really want to work with other females, and I totally get that. 
and it, it's it's like almost like a good business plan <laughs> to like to be a you know female producer producing other females because you know a lot of women like are looking for that you know totally and um, there's just like a stigma that's just it's all men and I, it's it's true it's like a lot of men compared to women um, but I think that I think that what you're doing is good and like shining a light on on women that are doing it just you know helps bring awareness to the fact that there are a lot of women that are trying to do it and there's a lot of women that want to do it and yeah i wish you luck in that thanks you know there's a really good um phrase i saw which was um you can't be what you can't see which Mm. i don't necessarily agree with because um i'd never been in a proper mastering studio until last year um (laughs) and you know i'd never really seen another mastering engineer see Mandy Parnell who is amazing um I met her a long long time ago but other than her I'd never really seen you know or spoken to a mastering engineer so I don't think that it's entirely true but it's you know it's a good saying because I think representation does matter yeah if you see if you see women you know working in this industry that's like enough of an you know that's more you know that's for someone who's like maybe thinking about it you know a female who's rising up, you know, and doesn't know that there are females doing it. Like, oh, I can do this. This is a valid, you know, you know, totally. way to try to spend my time. <laughs> I used to read, like, spend hours reading CD credits when I was a kid. And, um, yeah, there was, like, I couldn't really recognize any female names. I didn't really think anything of it, but, yeah, it is It is a bit of a problem. I, I wonder why why it never, there were never a lot of women in this industry. I feel like that's okay. an entire podcast episode on its own. I don't know. I wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> I know, same. It's a well, huge we'll topic. have to find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's definitely I think I think people are realizing it slowly that there are women that do this and there are women that want to do this. And and I'm seeing in Facebook groups more and more women who are doing it. And um I've tried to have some women on the show. It's it's been hard actually. I I, I you know, I've said this before on the podcast. Like I've I've reached out to women, not all women have responded to me. Um you know, I feel like men more and more likely to want to talk about themselves than women just like on a psychological level. Um, but also there's just a lot more men than women. So it's like even, you know, if even if I get like a certain ratio, it's it's not going to be enough to, you know, I'll, I'll try to like, you know, swing it in the favor of having more women than are, you know, percentage wise in the industry. But it's still not going to be it's not going to compete yet. You know, I mean, I hope it I changes. I can find some good ones for you. Oh, that's I. I'm always looking, so yeah. I would love it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Like when I started out mastering, and when I was engineering, like the only women I saw in the studios were vocalists. And then when I started mastering, um, the the second project I worked on, the the um, vocalist or one of the vocalists was female, and she's awesome, but all of the punk work that came in off the back of that was very, very male-dominated, whereas now I'd say it's like um, probably a 60-40 split in favour of women um, making music or producing the music or um, mixing as well, which is really, really cool. Yeah, awesome. So the times are changing, you know? Yeah, defo. It's um, Nice. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's weird though, well, like it's a bit like a little club. We all kind of know each other, um, but that's nice. It's good. It's good to have a network around you. I think um, 
that's kind of what I really struggled with when I started working as an engineer. Oh, yeah. And as well, because I think the pandemic has really made it like, you know, we're having this conversation now. That's amazing. We're in two yeah. different countries. We're two engineers talking. <laughs> Whereas when I started engineering, all the engineers were working in a different studio and it would be really weird like you know you'd have a producer and an engineer sometimes another engineer would come in with the band and you'd basically just be setting up for them and leaving them to it but they'd be working and so you wouldn't get to have a conversation with them and so it's just really hard to meet other engineers and have conversations yeah whereas now it's just especially pe- yeah it's so much more accessible it's great yeah I think, yeah, it's interesting. We had like a bit of a dip there. I feel like back in the day, like in the 70s, 80s, even the 90s, like people were hanging out in the studios and, you know, that's where engineers would meet each other and talk shop. And and there was like a a very in-person community thing happening. And then we kind of had this thing where everyone kind of rushed into the home studios and then everyone kind of lives in their bunker and doesn't see anybody else and doesn't know that other people are doing this. And I, and, um, and I had a moment in, in, in I went to T, an AES in 2017. I was in New York. I was like, oh, these are people that do what I do. And it like was a really big moment. It was really <laughs> like a big moment of understanding for me that like, like I need to connect with other people that do this because otherwise I'll have no idea of, if I'm doing anything good or right or, you know, like we need, we need to bounce ideas off of each other and there's no way to do it if you're just in a home studio not really connecting with other people. And yeah, maybe you're right. Like maybe this pandemic is, is, is ushering in a new wave of connectivity through the internet of where, you know, people can actually connect and like are comfortable connecting now over the internet. And I'm like, just on a personal level, just like starting this podcast has been that for me, like getting to meet other people that do what we do. Um, just by interviewing them has been an amazing, that's been the best part of podcasting. And that's not what I thought when I went into this. Like, I was like, okay, I need to put out some good content. I need to like get myself out there. But it's like, no, I'm like meeting amazing people. And that's by far the best part about doing a podcast, you know? That's really interesting. See, I would have never, I'd have never thought of doing a podcast for content. Maybe I'm selfish, but I think I've always like, you know, the, the thought's been there for a while, but Honestly, I just don't have time to do it. But um, like, yeah, my my kind of selfish reason has always been like, oh, I could speak to someone whose record I really like and ask them loads of really nerdy questions about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas actually, like content is a really good reason to to do a podcast well they're both good reasons they're both good reasons i learn a ton from the guests on the show and i i don't know i guess at the beginning i was asking very specific questions where it was kind of like okay how did you do this and you know like how do you you know when you're doing a mixed you know like what's the first thing you pull up or you know very specific questions i just got bored of those questions after a while because like when you ask that same question to enough people you kind of see a pattern of what the answers are going to be and so it just becomes more about like I don't know, digging deeper into other things as well, you know? I think, like, podcasting is definitely its own art. I've been on a few podcasts now, and I think interviewing someone and, you know, having a really good conversation, that's an art. 
I'm sure of it. Like, especially with other engineers who tend to be awkward and nerdy like myself. (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) I don't know. I guess it's something you probably learn on the way, but I don't know. Yeah, I I would tell you it it took me a year (laughs) to get decent at it. I would say, yeah, just I, you have to put in, it's like anything. It's like mastering, right? You have to put in the hours. You have to put in the work. Like, I don't know. For sure. I, you know, at the beginning, it was hard for me to like, you know, balance, let's say the questions with the uh, conversations. And now it's like, okay, I have the questions here when I need to use them, but I'm I'm like actively engaging in the conversation. And, you know, I, I don't know. You just kind of learn how to, how to do that. Or, you know, everybody's a different interviewer and different style and whatever. But it's, it took, I would say like my first 40 episodes We're probably like, uh, you know, learning how to do it. Because it's totally different from having a conversation in real life. You know, like if we were in the pub, we'd probably be talking about much different things than what we are now. Um, Right, because we know people are listening to this. (laughs) Yeah, I think at the start I was really like, I don't know. Obviously, people won't hear this, but we had a great chat before we started recording. <laughs> and then as soon as, yeah. you know, we'd clicked record, we'd done the clap. I was like, oh, okay. Now I've got now to watch what? what I say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you, don't to, you don't, I mean. It's strange, isn't it? Just, just don't slander anybody and, you know, it'll be all right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Let's let's dig into mastering a bit more because I want I want to ask you some more questions about it. Sure. Um, because I I listened to you know a bunch of the songs uh, you know a bunch of the records off of your website, and um, yeah, all sounds great. I'm trying to find like uh something. I I think I can hear your sound in there. Um, but um, so so let's. How does your workflow look? Uh, you know, when you're approaching a song, what's like? Do you what's the first thing you do when you get the song? Honestly, the first thing I do is like put on the song go and sit at the back of the studio and open up my laptop and reply to some emails <laughs> just to absorb the vibe of it that doesn't sound glamorous like I want to say like oh I use this fancy piece of equipment or something but I really don't um I just kind of try and get a feel of um what what is happening and the actual vibe I feel like when you're listening critically you can miss so many things and so I almost like to have something as background music just on repeat a few times before I do anything to it. And it's so weird the amount of things that you pick up when you're not fully paying attention to it. I don't know if that's what the mashing engineers do, um, but that's kind of how I like to sort of, you know. I think it's the first time with, I've heard this. Um, yeah. Sit with the track for a little bit and... Um, yeah, just suss the vibes, see what they're trying to trying to go for, and just sort of yeah, see if see if the mix is um, the mix is doing the song justice. Something that's been really common over over lockdown is when um, you know people are mixing in headphones now, or you know maybe they have a a small home studio. I found that um, you know there's been a few instances where um where the bass is just really getting lost um mm. so just really check in all of the areas of the mix like can i hear everything <laughs> is is everything there um and then you know i'll go in for a more critical listen and actually like sit in the listening position and 
and take a look um, properly and just sort of, yeah, normally I'll, I'll get, um, get a limiter and just, you know, make it louder or to where I think um, the track should be in terms of volume. Now, I don't like mm-hmm. to, to um, limit tracks a lot. I really like punchy dynamics. And so I'm not I'm not a mashing engineer who's gonna completely squash a track. Yeah, yeah. But I find that um, when you're listening to the tone of things, when you when you put a limiter on, it can completely change the tone. Um, yeah. And so trying to get a limiter um, to sort of suit the tone of the track and or be as transparent as possible or just sort of get get that get it hitting the limiter to where it needs to be so that you start feeling like, okay, this is more in the context of where the track is going to go. And then from there, I kind of think, okay, what does it need? You know, I get so many emails from um, from people who are, are learning about mastering and people who are interested in mastering. And this is what I used to do as well. <laughs> um, I just used to throw things at it. I used to be like, okay, um loads of EQs, yeah, multi-band. a multi-band compressor, <laughs> yeah. um saturation plugin, a stereo widener, <laughs> all of these things. Um whereas now actually, you know, sometimes I do very, very little processing at all on a track. And it's quite <laughs> it's quite hard at first. Like now obviously I master every day and it's just one of those things like if a track doesn't need something, don't do it, move on to the next one. It's fine. Yeah. Whereas I think when I started out like, um, I don't know, seven years ago or something, I think that's when, when they did the first things that I worked on. But um, I was a bit like, oh, no, they really... <laughs> They want mastering. I've got to show them what mastering is. I've got to, you know, I've got to go all in. Um, but actually, you know, doing very little is um, like people, <laughs> people don't send you a mix that they don't like. Right. So why change it? Yeah. Um, you know, and also a lot of mix engineers are really, really lovely people. If something isn't working in the mix, um, mm, for example, yeah. when I've had problems ask, yeah. with um, a little bit of a lack of bass on recordings, um, mm-hmm. I just talk to the mix engineer and be like, yo, do you fancy turning the bass up? Because it's going to sound well better if they do it than if I do it on the stereo track. Like they've got right on. maybe two faders for the bass. <laughs> That's going to sound better than if I try and like take all of that low end and just turn it up a little bit. Um, and so I think having, having those kind of conversations, um, is a really important part of, part of mastering. Um, yeah. And uh, coming from the other end, I love that also, like, you know, having sent off mixes to mastering engineers, I love getting told like, you know, there was a mastering engineer who told me, yo, this vocal needs a bit more 2k. I was like, what 2k. And I, I like go in, I was like, oh yeah, it really was missing that presence, you know? You know, just because you're you get so hyper focused on the on the trees that you forget about the forest sometimes. So like I love it. I love it when a mastering engineer tells me what I <laughs> where I missed the mark and how I can make it better. Because we all win, right? Like, totally. 
I think that's the, for me, that's the main um, function of mastering is just to quality check the audio and make sure that it's as good as possibly can be. I mean, like we're we're all coming from this, from the point of view of we want to make this song sound the best this song can possibly be. Um, and so, um, yeah, just whatever needs to be done in order to get that. And sometimes it's just, it's just a case of putting a limiter on and making something a bit louder. Sometimes it's a case of, not really doing anything at all, you know. Um, wow. It's It does happen, like, you know, especially in the context of an album. Maybe one song, you just run it through your converters and turn it up slightly. That's it. Um, Love it. But if, <laughs> if something, yeah. you know, I really like doing albums. I think that's my kind of, um, my favourite way of working because you get to see so many different sides of an artist in an album. Um, and I love, like, the structure of the actual album itself rather than just the structure of a, of a song. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes... Yeah, the context is there. You know? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes um, some songs on an album will, you know... I've had it <laughs> quite, quite a few times where the producer's been like, oh, by the way, track seven, slam that. And I'm like, okay. And then they're like, no, slam it harder. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then they're like, perfect. And I'm like, okay, well, the track after, I've not really done anything to it. Is it going to work? Yeah, it works. Like, that's really interesting as well, like how some producers know their job so well that they know exactly what mastering is going to bring to a record and they've kind of factored that into the production and they can predict ahead of time what is going to be needed. Wow. Um, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I guess that that people are being more educated, are like more educated than they used to be about what mastering is. Because I feel like 10 years ago, like you were saying, when you were getting started, you had no idea what mastering was. <laughs> like, um, I also didn't. And um so I guess there's much more educational, you know, things out there. There's like podcasts and there's, you know, like when I started, when I, when I got my record mastered in, in 2013, I, I didn't understand, like I, I hated it. I was like, okay, I got to figure out what this is about. And I bought Bob Katz's book and I just like <laughs> didn't understand half of it, but I read it and it was like, yeah, I, I, it's good to know that people are like, have a better idea of what it is now. I feel like that, that helps everyone, yeah. including the mastering engineers. Definitely. Ah. Yeah. I was going to, I had a thought. Oh, that was it. I was just going to say, yeah, like um, in 2018, I worked at the British Library on this transfer project. Um, but my commute is like just over an hour each way on the tube. So I just listened to two podcasts today <laughs> on my commute. Oh, my God. And um, that's a really fast way of absorbing some really good information. Yeah. Like there's some really yep. good resources out there. Yeah, definitely. Um I think I binged Ian Shepherd's podcast back back in the day and I was just like, I need to understand more about what this is about. And there's a, there's another great podcast about mastering called The Attack and Release Show by uh two mastering engineers that I've I've listened to a few episodes, uh or a bunch of episodes, and I've had uh, I've had them on the show actually also. So I've learned I've and I've learned more about more about mastering than just like the, just having people on the show and telling me more about it. So <laughs> 
I, I love learning about mastering, even though I don't really want to be a mastering engineer. I love hearing about it and learning about it. Um, uh, so I wanted to ask you, like, mastering is notoriously expensive and a gear-heavy field. Um, so all that to say, like, what do you think is the minimum amount of gear and like acoustics that you think someone needs to get started mastering? Oh, that's a really big question. I mean, it's so hard. Like, I would definitely say monitors are... That's what I've heavily invested in. Right, I saw your PMCs. Yeah, I've got some PMCs and I've got some um, Bowers and Wilkins 702s as well. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so... Nice. Yeah. that. I mean, when I started mastering, I was using Genelex, um, quite small ones, which um, I'd used in studios before for mixing and um, they were kind of fine. But it was, you know... <laughs> I, I saw these PMCs at a trade show, like 2011. I heard them for the first time. And I'd, I'd gone around and listened to loads of speakers, and I was like, whoa, those sound amazing. That's what I want. But they're very expensive. And so <laughs> I saved up, and I worked so hard, and I saved up. And then in 2018, I finally bought a pair. Um, <laughs> like, Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> They are my babies. Um, yeah, I definitely think monitors that you can trust as well. Like when I upgraded to my PMCs, it was a totally different, like that changed the way I listened to stuff so much. Um, it was a really big, um, I didn't think it would make that much of a difference. I was just like, oh, okay, they're going to sound better. But as soon as I put them in the studios and took my old monitors away, I was like, okay, no, this is serious business. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think trusting your monitors and trusting your room is really important. I definitely say, um, you know, you can have really, really expensive equipment and monitors, but if you don't know how they sound, then you're going to struggle. So um, I've seen people do really great masters on all different kinds of, speakers so I think it's just about finding something that you like and something that you're prepared to put in the hours listening to all different kinds of music on um in your mm. in your room um that's good advice and I think room treatment is obviously important for sure like um investing in some proper panels and you know doing a bit of a bit of listening to your room is good but I think it's so hard with um, with outboard gear because, you know, mastering outboard gear is so expensive. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, plugins are so good now. They are amazing. And so I, d I don't think it's essential to have amazing outboard gear or, or any outboard gear. Um, I have a few pieces that I really like, but the outboard gear that... I have, I chose because it's very characterful, which is kind of the opposite of what mastering outboard is typically. Um, mm. But the reality of it is I can't afford the outboard that is really, really transparent. Um, it's just not realistic for me um, to be able to buy that kind of stuff. Um, but I think, you know, plugins are so good that if I want a very transparent sound, that's the direction I'll go in. So, yeah, I've kind of done it 
backwards, <laughs> backwards a little bit. Like my plugins are really transparent and my outboard gear is very coloured. But um, I would say the main thing as well, like people always want to know what plugins I use. And I don't use that many. <laughs> I have like two limiters, one compressor and two EQs. That's it. Like That's it. That's it. Everything else I've I've got rid of. Well, you don't need much, right? And and if you know that tool, then you know how to use it. You're like a ninja with That's it. That's it. Right? Like, I think it's much more important to like have one EQ and know how to use it really, really, really well than have 70 EQs um, that you're just flicking through like different EQs to see which sounds, yeah. It's just, I don't see that being a, a productive way to work. And I don't think you can make, um, you know, if, if you've got your 70 EQs and you're just picking them at random, you're not going to be making a really conscious choice about why you're picking that and what you're using it for. Um, this is a problem I have with um, like plug-in bundles. It's just too much. I much prefer yeah. kind of, you know, buying a plugin sitting with it using it really seeing what it can do maybe i'm boring i don't know is it boring it's a bit no boring. i i i love it <laughs> well i think for mastering you also don't need quite maybe quite as many either like i think for mixing i would need a few a, a few i like i mean obviously i could just use use one eq right but like there are, there are a few flavors that you want like you, sometimes you want an api flavored eq versus a neve or an ssl or just you want that Pro Q three? You just you just want to like get in there and like get rid of a resonant you know frequency or something. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like for mixing you do need a few more options to get like those tones, but but like you don't really need it. You you could do it all with the Pro Q three, right? Like that's the only EQ <laughs> you need. You know? Yeah. Or it's, um, just a stock EQ. <laughs> I feel like with mastering, because mastering is really quick as well. It's a very a quick turnaround um, process. Uh, so, for example, I can um, master between 10 and 15 tracks a day, which is quite a lot. Oh, my God. Um, and I've kind of, I don't know if all mastering engineers do this, but every every bit of processing I do on a track, if any, needs to be a really, really conscious decision. And I need to be able to, tell myself why I'm doing that and have a really good reason for it. If there's no good reason for it, then don't do it because someone spent a long time producing and mixing this track and that's how they like it to sound. And so um, if you can't go, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this because it needs this, then I don't feel like it should be done. Obviously, there's exceptions where maybe someone's been like, oh, I'm not fully keen on the mix and we couldn't do any revisions. And so you might play around for a little bit longer. But generally speaking, um, mastering yeah. is really quick. And if you've got to choose from loads and loads of different tools, I don't know, that gets complicated and confusing. And yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, with like mastering... Like, like choice paralysis. Yeah. Yeah. Like lo loads of people... Um, you know, they want their masters really quick. They've got to send it off. The label needs them. Um, the management company needs them. Um, the radio plugger needs them, whatever. And so you have to, you have to be able to work very fast. It's, um, yeah, it's 
it's quite um quite alarming how how quickly after mastering some songs get released um that's wild it really is it really is but um i don't know i guess it's just part of the part of the process and i think especially since yeah. lockdown you know people have had different opportunities and so if a radio station becomes interested in a a track that um someone's played them but it's not quite finished yet and they want to play it um I did, I did a christmas track with um with a friend who's who's amazing folk singer and she she had it lined up to go on the radio like 2 hours after I'd finished mastering it um oh my god it's so <laughs> fast it's absolutely crazy so you've just kind of um yeah you've just got to go for it like focus and go for it <laughs> yeah, well, I I love that you respect the uh, the craft of the producers and the mixers that you work with, and you just kind of say like, oh, this is why you you know you did this for a reason. So who am I to like tear this apart and go crazy on it? Like, let me respect that art and just deliver it in a way that is going to translate well. You know, like I feel like that's their approach. Yeah, and I, totally. I think that's awesome. I mean, I think it helps that I've been there. I've been that mix engineer that's like wished they. Like I never used to, I never used to send notes to a mastering engineer because I didn't know that you could. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I just used to send stuff off and be like, "Oh, I hope they don't change the thing that I really like about it, but I hope that they do change something else that I don't like about it." Um, but yeah, I think knowing what it feels like to send your tracks off to mastering to a stranger, um, yeah, like. You've got to trust that stranger quite a lot to do that. Um, and I'm really grateful that people do trust me with their music. Because, yeah. you know, when you've put your heart and soul into something, the last thing you want is someone completely, you know, saying, no, that's not how it should be. Yeah. It's because you actually wield a lot of power, right? Because you could, you you know, you you probably will make the song you know, that give it that extra two to 5% or whatever it is, plus like that extra, you know, just knowing that it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, you've checked for quality and stuff, QC. Um, and, um, but like, there's that potential to like, you know, just go too far and destroy a perfectly good mix, right? So you gotta, you know, yeah, like, I feel like the communication that you're, 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 you're giving with your clients is, is probably what helps them trust you and, you know, know that they're going to get what they want. You know, totally. From your, from your master. I think you hit the nail on the head. The communication's the most important part of it. Um, like, I I really enjoy when I get um, feedback from artists because obviously not, you know, sometimes you send something off and they're like, yeah, it's perfect. But if they're kind of like, oh, actually, that's that's not sort of what, um, what I had in mind. Um, you know, can we try it a little louder or whatever? Um, it's just it feels so good to have that working relationship with someone where you, you can both be totally honest with each other and the artist can or the producer can sort of share their vision and be like no actually that's not quite what I was aiming for that, that's the goal really yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah want it's great because you learn something be, and then you understand them yeah, absolutely. You, you understand your clients better and then the next time you go on to work with that person like the you know, going back to my first ever mastering project, um, I still work with that guy now. 
I think that was 2011 when we first worked together. Nine years. Um, and yeah, so nine years later, we still work together. And it's just been a process of like getting to know each other's way of working and, um, you know, his mixing style has improved so much. Um, and it's been amazing to sort of be on that journey with him. And obviously my mastering has changed. <laughs> I hope it's improved. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, to sort of go on that journey together and to know what kind of styles each other likes and stuff is, yeah, it's really cool. That's awesome. So so I, I think I noticed that you use a dedicated mastering DAW. Is that correct? I do. I use WaveLab, which is made by Steinberg, who um, they make Cubase and Nuendo and right. um, Dorico, which is uh, scoring software. I first got a copy of WaveLab free, like uh, WaveLab Lite Edition or whatever, with um, a, a copy of Cubasis in 2003. So I've been oh using WaveLab for that long. <laughs> That's a long Which time. Which is crazy. But I, I really like it. It feels really, I don't know if it's just because I've been using it for so long, but the things where everything lives feel really natural to me um, and how it works. I can't think of what it's like in terms of a more traditional um, engineering software. But if you if you imagine Pro Tools, but instead of having the tracks down the side, they're in tabs like your um like mm. your browser. Oh, interesting. So like so you've got loads of tabs open in Chrome or Firefox or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, if I've got a whole album open in WaveLab, that's kind of what so each tab is a track and like it's laid out in the order. Yeah. Interesting. What 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 would you say is like the biggest benefit of using a, a you know a dedicated mastering DAW as opposed to like you know Pro Tools, Logic, Cubase? Um, the thing I really like about WaveLab is that it has all the um, has a lot of um, I don't know what you call it like analytics stuff built in. Um, so it has a spectrogram and. Um, like a uh, level meter, loudness meter, markers, which are really useful. Um, you can put in metadata, which you can't do in like Pro Tools or something. Um, and you can create DDPs in WaveLab as well. Mm. I actually use Hoffer for DDPs and vinyl DDP? sides now. Just because I feel like the I've only recently become aware of Hoffer. Um but I feel like all it does is like your album sequence. It doesn't do anything else, <laughs> but it's really, really good at that one thing. Um, oh, so best. I just find that like slightly, just a little bit quicker in terms of workflow because you can autofill like the artist's name. You don't have to copy and paste it like 12 times for an album. You can just copy and paste it once. Oh, and yeah. Then Click an arrow. You have to like just... triple check all that stuff, right? You like read it. You read it like three times before you yeah. like press enter. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like before I post an episode, I'm like, okay, this is how they spell their name, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, check their what? Yeah, okay. Got it's it. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to send the wrong information. I feel like that might be the most stressful part of being a mastering engineer. Yeah, there's a lot of filing and spelling and copy and pasting. Um, 
yeah, you have to make sure you get that metadata correct. And also make sure that you're requesting the correct metadata from the artist or from the management management company or, you know, the label. Um, for example, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the label copy, um, which is normally like a PDF with all of the um, track names, disc title, all of that stuff, ISRCs, it'll all be in capital letters and you'll be like, hmm, did they mean this to me? And then you've got to write an email going, I don't want to mess up your record. <laughs> Please, can you put the label copy with the cor like the correct punctuation and stuff, um, capital letters, just how it's going to appear on the record? Because uh, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got to get it right. Um, do, do you have any any practices to stay uh, fresh and creative in the studio space? Because we all kind of have days where we're feeling more motivated and days where we're feeling less motivated. Oh, that's a really hard question. I think fresh and creative is kind of an everyday thing because every job is so different and every person. Um, so, you know, I can master 10 to 15 songs in a day. If I don't have an album, that could be all different artists like that could be so 10 crazy. to 15 different artists in a day and it's amazing like it's fast you've got to work hard you've got to be really really on it like there's no room for error um you can't upload the wrong file to the wrong person or any of that like you've you've got to yeah. pay attention but it's, it's like narrowed of, in hyper focus i feel like yeah, yeah it's kind of short bursts of focus um and it just keeps everything really interesting. Um, but I think motivation-wise, obviously everyone has days where, you know, oh, I'm tired, I want to stay in bed, um, <laughs> you know, whatever. And I think that's hard, but I think having a really good routine is useful for that. That was really hard when I wasn't mastering full-time to get into a routine, but... Yeah, over time, I'm I'm slowly starting to <laughs> to try. Yeah. Um, I've not mastered it, but yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I had an interesting conversation recently. I don't, I'm not sure if this episode aired yet or not, but just because like of the pandemic, like I feel like musicians, we are always, uh, <laughs> I don't know, because I, I also gig sometimes, you know, not in the pandemic. So like, you know, I'll I'll play a gig some some every once in a while, and then like my whole next day is like how do you get back into that routine? You know what I mean? Like we're fickle. So it's very, <laughs> having this pandemic has kind of allowed me to sort of get a bit more routined and like, and focus certain hours of the day for certain things. It's, it's, it's tough, you know, especially for like people in the arts. It's really tough. Like, I mean, I don't ever, ever gig or anything, but pre-pandemic, I, I did a lot of traveling um, for guest lectures and events and um, sort of speaking things. Yeah, you know, you, you get home late on a day and then the next day it totally throws you out of whack. And sort of having the right, pandemic exactly. and having a regular bedtime and having a regular wake-up time. Yeah. <laughs> <it's been> a, <laughs> I mean, well. For all the downsides, there are a few upsides, right? There's like, a few upsides. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you 
Um, you know, there's a, a lot, you know, mastering engineers, like you, you were just saying, you can master like 10 to 15 songs in a day. And you guys are notoriously, you know, known for working with a ton of clients all the time, all at once. What, what are any, is there any keys to your organization? Any, anything that helps you stay on top of everything? Um, I use this tool called Trello. Um, this is gonna sure. maybe sound a bit boring. Um, but what I do. Go for it. I love this stuff. <laughs> So I have um, a Trello board for mastering and um, it's just me who sees it. My manager doesn't want any part on it and I can totally get why because it looks confusing as hell and really, really messy, but I understand it. And so what I do is um, for each stage of mastering, I have a little column um, and I put, I make a, I don't know what you call them, the little blobs that you can move around. A card. The card, yeah. yeah, that's it. And so I make a yeah. card um, with the artist's name, um, how many songs I maybe put on there, the f like whether they need um, vinyl sides or a DDP or anything. And just so I've got that basic information that I can see straight away. And then I've got different columns. So like first draft, waiting for feedback, revisions to do, um, formats and metadata, invoice, like the whole, basically the whole timeline is is a different column. And so I move right. each card to the different columns. So for example, um, they might go from first draft master into waiting for feedback and then feedback comes back. I'll put them in the revisions pile if they need a revision. And then once that revision gets sent off, I'll put them back in the waiting for feedback column. Um, and I think just doing that um because it's I can't work spreadsheets and stuff like that. To me, that's just yeah. so tedious and boring. Yeah, no, I love Trello. I love that. Uh, I started using uh, a software called Notion. I'll send. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, Haven't no. Um, it's kind of like you could do Trello boards, but you could also do other kinds of uh, boards. You could do anything. So it kind of it, it becomes like a journal. That sounds great. Um, and there's like a, t and so I recently did something, I started, I have a Trello, I have something like that for this podcast. Like, okay, this is a contact that I've reached out to. This is somebody that I've, you know, like I scheduled a time for, you know, it's, et cetera. Now I have one also for projects. Like, okay, am I recording this? Am I mixing this? Am I editing vocal? Whatever it is. So I'll have like, I started doing something very similar. So it's cool to hear that I'm not alone. Yeah. I think, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're juggling loads of different things, it's so easy to get, um, to get lost and sort of you know when you feel so overwhelmed by stuff that you just kind of freeze and you don't yeah. know where to start i think just by having everything laid out on one page and you can see everything um yeah so i do that but i also make a make a nice little to-do list at the start of each day um as well just so that you know it's in multiple places what I need to do. And also, you know, some things might be slightly higher priority in terms of, um, you know, the the artist might need something quicker than someone else. So it just means that I can, you know, put those things right at the top of my to-do list, whereas they might be sort of halfway down the Trello board. And as well as that, I put things in my um, iCal iPhone calendar, um, just and actually schedule that time so that, you know, I don't accidentally book in something different 
to do. So yeah, everything I need to do is in like three different places. I'm not a naturally organised person, so I really struggle with um, with not getting lost with it all. It's hard. But, um, yeah, there's no like all in one, like no. for, for freelancers that do creative work. I feel like it's not, you know, yeah. I've just had like, I've, I've had like organization paralysis, just looking for a pro- the, the, the right program to do all this stuff in and it's, it's impossible. You got to just do it, you know? Totally. And just listening to people talk as well. And like, um, and watching tutorials, like I got the idea for the, the Trello board from, um, mastering engineer called Piper Payne, who is amazing. I love her so much, but she has... Um, oh, yeah. she. I've heard her name on the show, actually. Uh, she mastered uh, for somebody who was on the show. She's so good. Yeah. But um, she has this massive board, like a physical board in her studio um, where she moves stuff from column to column on Post-its. And I was like, that's genius. But I don't have the space for, <laughs> for an actual board. Yeah. So I set up the Trello board because um, I saw that she was doing that. And yeah, it's it's been a game changer. Love it. I think I'm out of questions because you kind of answered all my other questions roundabout ways <laughs> for like like through other questions. But yeah, I, there's, a, there's a question that I ask every guest and I'd love to ask you as well. Um, what's one thing, you know, when you were getting started, what was one thing that you either maybe did or didn't do that you'd want to impart on the listener who's kind of at the beginning of their journey that you'd say like, this is the thing you got to do or, or, or maybe not do to, you know, find success in, you know, this journey of audio. Oh, God, so many things. Okay, number one, pay someone else to write your bio. <laughs> like, cool. Just even, even if it's your friend who's who does a bit of writing on the side, just pay someone else to do it because writing about yourself, you're never, you're never going to get it quite right. Um, Interesting. And... Yeah, I think I tried to do my own for a long time and I just sat, I felt really cringy writing it, like writing about myself. Um, And also um, it's hard to get your own personality across when you're writing about yourself, whereas someone else knows exactly who you are. Or you, like I I paid um, a journalist to write mine and he asked me all of the right questions and then went and did it and sent it back. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. Um, so, so before when you asked me about my bio, it's just because I got my website built and I've not really read. Um, well, your yeah, your your website is 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 really great. Like it really, it was really well put together and the bio was awesome also. Thank you. Yeah. I did not so do did any of it. <laughs> no, um, Brilliant. a guy called um, <laughs> Callum made my website. Um, I think it went live in June. Like before that, I had a, a DIY website, which did the job, but it just, I don't know. It looked like trash because I'm not a website <laughs> builder. Um, and I don't right. really have much patience for for that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, my number one first tip would be to pay someone to write your bio, for sure. Number two, so I... I use um, a software called QuickBooks for invoicing and that's really good because, and I, you know, they don't sponsor me. They're not paying me to, to say this. I just really like it. So I tell everyone about it. Um, I think it's like £9 a month in, in British money. Um, and 
you can send loads of invoices. You can um, chase them up automatically by sending a reminder. Like it tells you when they're due. It tells you if they're overdue. Um, you can link it with your bank account so that you can sort of do your taxes easier. Um, I did not do that for a very long time. <laughs> and it made wow. made things um, made things tricky. And then I was at Abbey Road Studios like last Christmas, I think, like Whoa. December 2019. And um, my mate Lauren was there and I was like, oh, Lauren, I've just got this QuickBooks thing and I don't know how to use it. She whipped out a phone and she was like, this is what you do. It'll be life changing. <laughs> so she gave me a little uh, little demo and yeah, it was great. So I've been on that ever since and it's been a big time saver because I, I really hate invoicing as well. It's boring and it feels it feels weird asking people for money for something that you really yeah. enjoy doing. Um, yeah. That's never, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a business type person, so that's never been kind of easy for me to do. Um, but, you know, with QuickBooks, you literally just type in their name, their email address, how much, and then press send, and it sends you like a really fancy looking invoice. And number three is um, don't be shy. And if someone gives you their business card and says, feel free to contact me if you have any questions, think up a question and contact them and actually get in touch. Um, like, yeah, I, I had the opportunity to contact so many great people and I was always too shy. And wow. yeah, I, I think that's that's quite a biggie. Because they're all people that I would have really loved to, like, and, you know, learn something from. But I was just so, yeah, too intimidated by them. But don't be, because um, people are really nice. Yeah, people are just people. <laughs> like, sometimes we think that they're, you know, these icons or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you grow up and you're, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm like, thinking, like, you know, just like a kid, like a Jewish kid. Like, oh, the rabbis, they're the rabbis. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> But like they're just humans, you know, just like you are, you know what I mean? So most people are are nice people, you know? For sure. Yeah, love it. Katie, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, really great to meet you and, and schmooze with you. And uh, I learned a lot. Um, how can the audience find you on the internet? Um, I'm the only Katie Tavini in Google. So just, you know, shout that into the wind. And I'm there. It'll spit you, spit you back out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll link up to your website and your Instagram or wh whatever else you want me to, to link up Amazing. to. Amazing. Thanks so much notes. for having me. It's been so cool to chat with you. Sure. It's a pleasure. And uh, I hope you stay safe and uh, good luck with the rest of this lockdown. <laughs> Thank you. Hopefully it'll be over soon. And you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Secret Sonics. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Katie as much as I did. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, I'd super appreciate it if you would go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It really helps the show. And if you could share this episode or your favorite episode with a friend or two, that would also really help the show move forward. In addition to that, you can find us on social media. Just search for Secret Sonics. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And you can email me at secretsonics at gmail.com if you have any comments, feedback, guests you might want to recommend, anything like that. So that's about it for now. Uh, until next time, I hope you guys have a great week. Stay safe out there and dig in. Bye-bye.